What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 114 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today is going to be a fun episode. You know, there are those episodes you learn, there's episodes you're inspired, then there are those episodes that are fun. Today, we are going to just talk about some good everyday lessons with Ethan Bryan. Ethan Bryan is a storyteller, he's an author, but even more important than that, he's a guy who knows what it's like to overcome some personal obstacles and make something happen. His latest book, A Year of Playing Catch, is fascinating, where he set a goal to take a year, 365 days, and play catch and have a conversation with people starting in his own home to all over the country. I don't know about you, but anytime I watch the movie Field of Dreams when Kevin Costner plays catch with his dad, it always gets me. One of my memories of childhood is playing catch. This book takes that concept and breaks it down into everyday lessons learned through playing catch. Because everybody's got a story. Ethan Bryan has a story, and you are going to love this story So today, whether you're driving, whether you're sitting on a tractor, whether you're in your office or in your boardroom or on a elliptical or a treadmill, wherever you're at, I want you to pull out something to write on, and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Mr. Ethan Bryan. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. (laughs) I'm glad we could make it happen. Oh, listen, I was I was reading up on you and I and I saw where you wrote, I've played catch with Frank White, Joe Randa, Justin Verlander. I have warning track power. I'm a threat to steal bases on a pass ball. I'm a big fan of Alex Gordon, Dan Quisenberry, and Kevin Seitzer. I self-medicate with Dr. Pepper and Chick-fil-A. You are my kind of, I got my Chick-fil-A cup sitting here with me. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, Christian chicken's the best thing. Go ahead. Tell me about Ethan Bryan. Tell me a little of your backstory, who you are, where you grew up, and all that kind of fun stuff. I think we need to go back. Um, I'm, I'm now in my second season playing in a men's wood bat baseball league. Oh, that's uh, I don't think I have warning track power anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm lucky if I have gap shot doubles power. Oh, that's uh, great. But uh, so what about me? Uh, I, I've lived in, oh man, goodness. When I was six years old, I lost all my hair. So I've been bald for four decades. Uh, alopecia, it's it's a, it's quite a joy to be able to, uh, to wake up. Um, you know, looking like this and having having perfect hair, <laughs> hairstyle every day. Uh, this is as long as I, I have a wonderful hat tan line, uh, it will never go away. Uh, but uh, grew up in Springfield uh, from 82 on, uh, second grade on, went to elementary, uh, middle school, high school, college here, 
I uh, went to Baylor where I got my master's uh, divinity at Truett Seminary, worked in the church for 15 years as a, a youth minister and worship leader. And then in 2012, my family moved back to Springfield after being away and, and now having two daughters with me to be closer so, so my daughters could spend time with their grandparents. Mm -hmm. And uh, the neat full circle part of life was my youngest daughter started at Delaware Elementary in the same grade that I started as a second grader. How fun. Um, so we've been in Springfield for the last eight years where, where I have poured my heart and time into trying to learn how to to write stories uh, of hope and of life and of joy and uh, of making new friends. And almost all of them have a, a solid uh, baseball undercurrent. Have you always been, a, so you go back even to growing up, have you always been a sports fan? Has that just been part of the blood for you? Um, yes. Uh, I played, uh, I played soccer, baseball, golf, um, lettered in all of them uh, in high school at various levels, uh, JV for, for baseball. Um, but, uh, my first, first game I went to, I was four years old. We lived in Kansas city, got to see, uh, see the Royals. And it was, it was one of the longest games in, in Royals history. And we had to do research for years. I'm mean, my parents didn't keep any tickets or souvenirs or anything from the game. We discovered it was a 16 inning game at that wow. game. In that game, George Brett hit for the cycle and won on a walk-off home run. That's first game. Right. And I've been in love with the game ever since. That is so, what is it, what is it about the game that fascinates you? What is it about the game of baseball? Cause I'm sitting here, we're looking and you got baseballs on the rack behind you on the bookshelf behind you. What is it about baseball that's got in your blood? That is such a good question. I really, I, I don't know how to answer that. I, I there, there is, there is something, um, just is is pure unadulterated joy a uh, playing catch with somebody mm. but that that feeling of, of when you when you square up the ball and and barrel it that that sound and, and that that where it, you don't feel it in your hands yep. um the camaraderie uh, of teammates i think it is it's the combination of it is both squarely on on the individual and on the team at the same time and and I like that aspect of it. That's so good. That's so good. And, you know, your life and ministry. So you had years in ministry. Where did your faith journey begin? How did how did the whole faith journey for you get started? My mom was a church organist, a church pianist and organist uh, in Colorado, in Kansas City. I think uh, we were living in Lee Summit. Would have been 1980, the first year Royals went to the World Series against the Phillies. Yep. My parents actually got to attend the very first World Series game that the Royals won, game three, it went into extra innings. Uh, but she, I think it was on Christmas Eve, uh, she was playing a piano at a, a church service there. And uh, I was horsing around with my dad or my sister or something, and I busted out a tooth. And so uh, that Christmas Eve service, he got a, right before service going and say, hey, look, I got a gap <laughs> in my smile now. Um, so it started, it started uh, I, I got um Faith runs on both sides of my family. Um, my grandpa, both grandpas, both were, were involved in, in church. And, and I, I grew, I literally just grew up going to church. And was ministry something I know you spent those years as a worship pastor and youth pastor. Was that a, was that a calling that started on you at an early age or something you decided to do in college? Uh, it was definitely not early. Uh, my, I would have told you from second grade through high school that my dream was to play baseball for the Royals. 
Mm-hmm. And that, that was the the passion that I pursued. And it was my freshman year at uh, Missouri State University now, or then Southwest Missouri State University, that I really had that that call experience um, and, and leaned into that with everything I had. And it, it was, uh, it caught me by surprise uh, completely. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, you have come out with a new book, uh, A Year of Playing Catch. And this is, this is amazing. I cannot wait to talk about this. Give everybody a little bit of the backstory of how, the, I mean, everybody's played catch at some point, but a year of doing it with lots of people that we're going to talk about. How in the world did this crazy story get going? Well, it wasn't planned. It, it was completely just a, a spur of the moment thing. Um, in, in January 2018, I was actually working on two different books at the time. So my writing brain was was fully occupied. For Christmas of 2017, my youngest daughter gave me a ball. Um, actually, it might be behind us. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. She gave me this ball. That's I can't awesome. get it on the camera. It says, Dad, want to play catch on it? And she gave me the ball. And it was just a Christmas gift. Uh, and it just just a simple acknowledgement uh, of, of my love of playing catch. And so on January 1st, 2018, it's one degree outside. It is perfectly beautiful. Otherwise, sun's shining, sky's blue. There's no snow on the ground. And I just called out to her. I said, hey, Sophie, you want to go play catch? And there, there's silence from the other room. And, and she's <laughs> like, well, outside? I said, yeah, outside. At a baseball field? Sure, I can find a baseball field we can get on. And she said, yes. And one degree, we layered up. We go to an old professional softball field, and we threw the ball 30 times, which is just about as much as bare hands and faces yep. could stand. And we took a selfie. And and for some unknown reason, I put it on a blog that I very, very seldom wrote on. Just something about uh, frozen faces, warm smiles, 30 throws, first day of the year. Well, that afternoon, my oldest daughter says, well, I'll play catch with you. So we step out in the backyard. It's now warmed up five more degrees. It's five degrees outside. And our glasses fog over as we're playing catch. And we take another selfie. I put it on the blog for a second time in one day. So that, that night at dinner table, they're like, Dad, what would happen if you played catch every day for an entire year? And I was like, oh, I got the end. I would need surgery. That is exactly what would happen. <laughs> this, this is and." And they kind of kept talking about it and really, so they, they are literally the inspiration behind the whole thing. I mean, they said yes on a very cold day to going outside to play and catch. And then they very gently encouraged me to do that, which I really love to do. And so, so they are the heroes of the, uh, of the adventure. And those two, games of catch that you played with your daughters turned into how many games of catch did you have over that next year? Well, uh, more than 530 different catch partners. Wow. Um, you know, if you get, if you get invited out to, to hang out with a team, the whole team wants to play catch. So line them up and here we go. Um, so it was, it was every day at least once a day, several times more than once a day. And then on top of that, uh, my fear is being late. I never want to be late to anything. So we'd show up early and sometimes it was after school or or if it was in the summer and I'd have my daughters with me and I'd say, Hey, um, before they show up, will you, will you warm me up? We just, 
you know, my shoulder's stiff, my yeah. elbow hurts, my back is a little bit tight. Will you make sure everything? And so I don't know how many different times I played catch with them just off the record. Um, but they, they were, yeah. So that's, that's, that's what happened. You, and you met some amazing people. And so, and for those people that don't play catch, there is something, there's something nostalgic about it. There's something that takes us back to our days growing up. What were some of your favorite stories? And, you, and you've got hundreds of stories. What were some of the stories that you go, these are always going to stick in my brain. Is that you're going to move on, you're going to write more books, you're going to do more things. But these stories marked me. What were some of the stories that stood out to you, Ethan? Okay, there's like a million. Um, ones that jumped to mind immediately. Uh, 2018 was the 75th anniversary of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Mm. And they held their reunion in Kansas City. And so I got to tour the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum with the players from the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Wow. And at the end of that tour, there's a, in, the, in the museum, there's a, it's called the Field of Legends. It's a, it's a miniature baseball field with life-size statues of best players of the Negro Leagues. So standing on the Field of Legends, I got to play catch with two players from the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And they, there's all these people surrounding us, taking pictures and videos. And, and we were just there having a blast. And at the very end of it, I passed around the old glove that I was using. And, and so many of the players commented, oh, this feels like my glove. This reminds me of the one that I used to use. So yeah. that's, that's one of the days that stands out. Mm. Another day that stands out was early in the year. Um, there was a, a uh, the National Pro Fast Pitch League came to, spring, came to Springfield. And I got to play catch uh, with Chai Yinan. Uh, she's known as Little Bear. She was the youngest player on the Shugang, Beijing Shugang Eagles, stood about uh, two, three inches taller than me. She, and um, the very, we, she didn't know any English. I didn't know any Chinese. So we literally only could communicate uh, through our throws and through the glove flips that she's a pitcher through the So, yeah. you know, the signs that you give with the glove, you know, slide or whatever, fastball. And her very first throw, though, so we were using a softball. Her very first throw, I could hear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you just hear this. And, and it popped in my glove. And I was like, oh, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we're laughing and we're, we're flipping symbols back to each other. And one of my goals was to, to be able to throw a knuckleball as the, as the year developed. I still can't throw a knuckleball. It yeah. just does not come out of my hands right. My oldest daughter, she is a knuckleball queen. She has wow. one that I have missed. Um but uh, I threw a pretty darn decent knuckleball uh, to Little Bear, and she gave me a thumbs up. And I was like, that's probably my best one of the year right there. That's be- awesome. That is awesome. So, I mean, I've, I've got more. I've, but those are, those are two that, that, uh, that jumped to mind. Going to the Field of Dreams with my dad. Yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to hear about. That is, I think, in every, I would say, guy's mind, whether you're 15 or 51 like I am when you when I saw that you'd gone and played catch on the field of dreams field with your dad tell me what was that what was that like as a son not take out your grown man now what was it like as a son to be out there with your dad well the the interesting part is well I'd never been Hmm. that movie comes out right before my freshman year in high school it's been one of my favorite all my life um 
And uh, I'd always just kind of put it on that that mental bucket list of, well, one of these days I'm going to get to the field of dream. Well, uh, sure, one of these days. And so in January, I get an invitation from a journalist in, in, in Ohio, uh, Bob Dyer of the Akron Beacon Journal. He says, I've got a reader that wants to play catch with you. He lives up uh, on the East Coast, and it looks like the field of dreams is halfway. Would you be willing to meet at the field of dreams? And he said, you know, late July, sometime that. So this is January 11, 12, somewhere around there. Um, at this point of the year, my arm is on fire. Oh, I all bet. Right? And my elbow is just, just. I mean, I was taking ibuprofen multiple times a day. I was <laughs> bathing in icy hot. Um, so I said, I said, absolutely, yes. But in the back of my mind, there's this huge doubt of there is no way my arm is going to make it till July. It is just it is going to fall off before then. So he said, yes. And so a, a week before, and it's now late July, it's a week before. And I realize, oh, this is going to happen. Um, I need to make reservations. I need to find a place to stay. I need to figure out who am I going to play catch with on the way? The, all, the, all the little details going along with it. And so I was at, over at my parents having dinner. Uh, when we were watching the Royals game, I was like, hey, dad, um, next week, I'm going to the field of dreams. Uh, do you want to come with me? Well, my dad uh, was a veterinarian. He made house calls. And so he would drive 200 miles a day within the city limits. So so a road trip is not at, at the top of his bucket. Yeah, he wants his yeah. Home. And so even she's like, all right, we can work it out. I can do it. And so, so we drove through Kansas City had fantastic games to catch. Uh, Joel Goldberg, who's the pre and post game for the Royals. Yeah. Nate Bucati, who used to do radio work for the Royals. I mean, just fantastic guys. Uh, day 206, we make it to the Field of Dreams. We're supposed to meet Bob and his reader staying at 11. I woke up at like 6 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep that night. I was just a bundle of energy, bundle of nerves. At 9 o'clock, Dad and I leave for the field. Um and it's, it's still in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And you get there and the very first, you open the door and the very first thing you hear is, is what you, is how much you don't hear. You don't hear highway traffic. You don't hear city noise. It's just quiet. And then you start hearing the pop, pop, pop of people playing catch and the, and the, the, the people hitting ground balls and fly balls and, and the sounds of laughter. And so I loaded up my backpack full of gloves and we start walking through the field and, and when we go out and stand in, in center field and we stretch for a little bit and, and for three or three or four hours that we were out there, I could not stop smiling. I mean, wow. I, I just a permanent cheek to cheek, ear to ear grin. And we were laughing. Um, and it, it was just sheer pure unadulterated joy and so we're staying it was just it was a gorgeous day out mm -hmm. there late july i mean the temperature could not have been more perfect and so we're, we're out there tossing the ball and all of a sudden this lady walks over to us she'd been walking her dog along the the the, the corn stalks in the outfield and she said uh, you guys are father and son right you guys are just the cutest things I've ever seen. I had to take pictures of you. I hope you don't mind. Oh, that is amazing. So, um, it, it's really hard to put into words that experience. You know, it's something for 30 years I've been wanting to do, and it it, it happened. And it, yeah. it was 
It was wonderful. It was, it could not have been more picture perfect. Was that your favorite scene in the movie? When, oh, when, yeah. when Ray plays catch with his dad, is that your favorite scene? Absolutely. And it's still every single time it chokes me up. It yep. just, I feel that lump in my throat and I, and I blink back tears every single, single time. I mean, that's the da- kind of dad I grew up with. So, so he makes house calls. He's driving around town all day. And, and now that I'm the age, I'm the age now that he was then when I was doing it. And I, w- I would run out to the car literally as soon as he pulled in the driveway and I would have two gloves in hand. Yep. It's like, all right, dad, let's, let's play catch. Well, if that happened to me now, I'd be like, just give me 10 minutes to, to take a break, just decompress or whatever. He, he never said no. He always said yes. And sometimes it was in the backyard. Sometimes it was in the street. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it was in the church parking lot across the mm-hmm. street. But he always said yes. And, and so it, that, um, that bond, and he wasn't a baseball player. Uh, he played football in, in high school growing up and he was a cowboy. I mean, that, that is his thing is, is going out, uh, uh, shooting guns. Um, I mean, cowboy dreams, uh, his, his dream is to be a villain in a cowboy movie. That's what, that's what he wants to do. Um, so he, he took on baseball to encourage and support me. Um, and, and, and so that that memory and, and imagery of him always saying yes and then being fulfilled on, on the field. And it, I, don't, I don't know that I have the words to express how much that means. No, you'll hold you'll hold on to that forever. I lost my dad in 2017. And I'm telling you, you that'll that'll be something that will be forever etched in your soul. That's that that's past the story. That is a that is one of those deposits that got made in your life. I know in the book you talked about Moonlight Graham <laughs> and Catch. I mean that that is my favorite character, by the way, from the movie. Oh, uh, it's yes. Moonlight. I love I love me some Moonlight Graham. And when he when he steps across the line to save the little girl, I and I cry when and when uh, Ray plays catch with his dad. And when he steps across that line and becomes a doctor and knows he's forsaking the dream of what it would be like to live on that field. That is, uh, that is, that is something that just grabs you. What was it like to talk to him that day when y'all had the conversation? Um, so there's a little caveat there at the end of that scene, when he turns around and he starts walking back towards the field and they say, Hey rookie, you were good. Oh, that just grabs grabs me so much. It's Um, so good. It's so, so Tim good. Flattery, Tim Flattery uh, is a podcast host, and How he has that? the Moonlight Graham show. Mm. And so he, he's there in uh, in Des Moines, and on on the way back home, we uh, I've connected with him, and he's a ridiculously good baseball player. He's got an arm just as live as a snake, and and uh, so we got to play catch in his backyard, and 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 so it wasn't actually it was not it was not uh, Burt Lancaster, of course, right. But, it, it, um, to to say, hey, we had our own Moonlight Graham experience on the way back from Field of Dreams, and he he is such a uh, a generous person, That's awesome. a, a gracious host, and and to make that real life connection between the movie, it was it was <laughs> it was so serendipitous, and it was it was just pure joy. 
At any point in this, did you ever just stop and go, God, why in the world have you given me all these crazy experiences? What was going on? What was going on in your head as this year was unfolding in 2018? Well, the first thought was, okay, my arm's going to fall off. And, but, um, you know, that's still one of those questions that I ask. It's just, it's just playing catch. Okay. It's really, if you look at grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal, but then all of a sudden, like um, just on a whim, when I finally started getting serious about saying, all right, there's only one way to do it. And if you're going to do it, you're going to put everything you have yeah. into it and, and you're going to see what happens. So just for fun on Twitter, there's a fun, uh, a fun major league baseball account, uh, Cespedes family barbecue. And the guys look at, uh, look at the lighter side of it and they're brilliant uh the, the way that they can break down games and everything but they also point out the fun and, and all this. so i said hey if you guys are ever in, ever in missouri i think i'm going to try and play catch every day this year you are i would be delighted to meet you in kansas city for a game and let's see what happens and they they responded like are you serious it's like well yeah i think i am <laughs> and and so they interviewed me and then they posted it on MLB.com or Cut for and it went nuts. And I had like a hundred emails of people saying, "Hey, if you're here, I'd love to play catch with you. If you're here, I'd love to play catch with you." And so, and and so I'm sorting through these emails, trying to map them out of where all these requests are coming from. And we're at the dinner table, and my wife goes, "Why do all of these people care about you playing catch?" And I was like. <laughs> Oh boy, that's a big question. I was like, I don't, I don't know. And so that was one of the questions that I kind of had to wrestle with as I lived the whole year. And as I continued, as I wrote the book, as I just continued to process these stories, what I'm learning is that play in and of itself is essential to what it means to be made human. Mm. And if we want to take a step, a step further, um, the definition of play uh, is meaningful, but not essential, right? So think of it that way. Um, and then think back to Genesis. Um, God did not have to create. He, no one forced his hand to create. Every, everything that we know, everything that was brought into being, he created out of an abundance of joy and, and, and the fulfilling of his love. And so his love is so overflowing and so joy-filled, he could not help but create it. Mm. And so mm. this world that we live in is full of meaning, but it is not essential. And so I think it is, it is my conviction that God played the world into creation. I mean, Genesis 1 is a song, and singing is just another form of, of, of play. And so God, so play... It is an echo of of our image, of our divine image, um, and even going further on that, there there are those moments. I mean, I experienced it so much in that in that year, of, of when you're playing catch and you're talking to someone and you get lost in their story, and maybe this is one of those times when you're lo- working on the knuckleball and it's it's kind of getting close, it's not rolling as much as it used to, and you're just having so much fun that you you completely lose track of time. Mm. And, and, you know, that, that experience, I, 
I could be wrong. I could be so far off. But when you lose track of time playing and, and you step into those the, that sacred space, those eternal moments, I, so I think you're getting just just the smallest taste of what heaven is like. That's and then you look down and you're like, it has been an hour. Yep. My wife is going to wonder where in the world. <laughs> she knows <laughs> that I'm playing catch. I mean, but, that's so, so good. I think play is, and, and, and as we get older, all the responsibilities of, of life and, you know, whether it's taking care of paying bills, making sure dinner's on the table, getting daughters to where they need to be, those those responsibilities push play further and further mm-hmm. down the to-do list that if we don't intentionally create space to play, we just we just don't. That's really good. Really good. You know, I think it, there'll be times probably in the next 10, 15, 20 years, things are going to pop in your brain that are from those experiences and it will make even more sense in the rearview mirror than it did out the front windshield you, as yeah. you as you live it out. If you think you played catch with some amazing people from all walks of life, if you could go back in time and play catch with a historically great figure and you could stick a glove on their hand and a ball in their hand, what, who would you want to play catch with and why would you want to play catch with them? Well, the first three that came to mind, uh, Buck O'Neill, Satchel Page, and Jackie Robinson. Um, I mean, these, these are players who were, who, who grew up thinking that they were not good enough or being told that they're, they're not equal, that they're less than, um, and somehow through all of this, Buck O'Neill still kept a, a hopeful, joy-filled attitude and, 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 and pressed on, um, Satchel Page, uh, you hear all these stories about what he can do and what he did. And you're like, okay, yeah, those are legend. Those are myth. And and then you just, you, there are just these, these glimpses of verification, like the, uh, the story with Satchel Paige and, and Whitey Herzog and Bill Beck. Um, are you familiar with that story? No, I don't think so. Oh my goodness. Okay. You know who Bill Beck is, right? Absolutely. Triple yeah, A team down in Florida. He had the Miami Marlins. And uh, I don't know, Satchel would have been older. Well, who knows how old Satchel yeah. was anyway. <laughs> and why Herzog would have been pretty young. Yeah. Well, Bill Beck had this deal. There was a hole in the outfield fence. And he had this deal. If anyone hit a home run through that hole, that person would win $10,000. So one day, why Herzog gets ready. He gets a bucket of balls. And he says, I just, I want to see if I can do it. And he just starts throwing ball after ball after ball at the hole. I can't get it to go through. And so he gets frustrated. He goes to goes to Satchel and says, hey, Satchel, um, I'd like to make a, a bet with you. He's like, what's that? You see that hole in center field? Yeah, what's going on? He says, well, I bet you this bottle of bourbon, you can't throw a ball through that hole. And Satchel's like, well, does, you know, does the baseball actually fit through the hole? I mean, is it, is it yeah. physically possible? And, and he's like, yes, I, I measured it. A baseball will, in fact, through the hole, fit through the hole. And, and Satchel's like, all right, tomorrow. Well, we'll do it. Deal. Game on. So they go out, pace off 60 feet, six inches from the hole. And uh, the way that, that Bob Kendrick tells the story and the way that it goes is he lined up his arm, like looking down the sights of a rifle. And he stares at the hole and he throws it and the ball just circles it around and, and just spins off. And Whitey Herzog was just amazed. He's like, I was out here all day yesterday didn't come 
that close, not, not even once. On the very second throw, Satchel put it through the hole. Wow. <laughs> and he walks over and says, I'll take that bourbon. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, that is great. Those are the kind of stories uh, that you're like, okay, this is this is myth. And they're like, well, no, this actually happened. That is and crazy. Then Jackie Robinson, just the, yep. the, the courage and grace. I mean, uh, those three, Buck Satchel, Jackie, um, they persevered through some of the through worst circumstances yep. I can ever imagine. And they persevered for the sake of a game. That's right. And, 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 and okay, just give up, go do something else. And why, why would you keep doing this? And, and, you know, now baseball was the, was 15 years ahead of the civil rights movement. And Martin Luther King says, there's no, there's no me apart from Jackie Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're still fighting, still learning same lessons today over and over and over again. That's so uh, true. So those, true. Those three, if there was ever a chance I could, I think that would be that would be incredible. You know, for a person in a career, any anything you do outside the norm is a risk. I would I would definitely count driving all over the country to play catch with people that you don't know would qualify in the, in the, you know, the dad is a stable veterinarian. I'm sure it qualifies in the risk category in the book. You, you gave the quote uh, from JD Salinger and Shoeless Joe. If I had my life to live over again, I'd take more chances. I would want, uh, I'd want more passion in life, less fear, more passion, more risk. Even if you fail, you still have taken a risk. Are you glad you did it? Are you glad that you spent that year doing that? I, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I mean, it, with every, it was literally one of the best years of my life. Um, and you know, what's, what's weird is I would have thought I would have burned out my kids and perpetually angered or frustrated my wife. And actually it brought us all even closer together. You know, I, I drive my daughters to school and on the drive, they're like, Hey dad, who, who are you going to play catch with today? And the vast majority of the time I was like, I have no idea. I'll tell you after school. <laughs> um, and, and be, just because of playing catch, we, right. we took two different road trips. Wow. And, and I mean, literally this sounds so stupid and so foolish. We literally emptied our savings so we could travel, so I could play catch. I mean, it just sounds absurd, I know. Um, but the memories of those, I mean, I've got That's their great. pictures on my desk. And and uh, I, th those, those are some of the, the ones that I hold deep in my heart uh, of traveling on, on the road. And, and so when I first started writing the book, my first thought was, well, I'm just gonna make each chapter a month, January, February, and these are the highlights from January. Yep. These are highlights from February. These highlights. And um, I sent it to a couple of friends, and they're like, uh, this is really bad. This is so boring. I, I don't want to read this. And I was like, oh. Uh, and so I, I, I was up to 40,000 words, and I deleted it all. Wow. And I talked to my dad, and I was like, Dad, um, I don't know how to write a book about this year long quest um, and honor everyone that made it possible. And, and he and I talked about it for a while back and forth on emails. And he, I don't even remember what he said, 
but he said something along the lines of it really needs to connect uh, with the passion of the story. Mm. And, and the passion of the story was we did a, on day 99, I got to play catch with the Alamo Drafthouse Theater. We did a special screening uh, of the Field of Dreams and all the money from that movie went to benefit the local Miracle League. Are you familiar with Miracle League? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. The money sponsored 14 players. So we're on the back row. I'm seeing the the movie on the big screen for the first time in, in 30 years or whatever. And it is literally in the scene when, when Ray and Terrence Mann are setting off for Minnesota to go find the, find a moonlight Graham that it hits me that we have got to take a road trip. There's no way we're living this adventure. And so even though I risked getting kicked out of the theater, I just leaned over my wife and I was like, we have to do it. We have to take a a catch playing road trip. And she just looked at me and says, you're right. And so that that day 99 is when we started playing it. So about um, 50, 60 days later or so, we set up on the road. And we took this this first 10-day road trip through the Midwest. It was uh, Kansas City, Omaha, Sioux Falls, Wallingford, Davenport, Rockford, Chicago, and back home. And we called it the Catch 365 Tour of Hope. And it was to go find stories of hope just throughout the Midwest. um, In those 10 days, we had so much fun as a family. And the very last day, right before we left uh, to come home, we got invited out onto the the field of the Chicago Dogs, brand new independent league uh, stadium. And we're out in center field and I'm playing catch with my with my daughters. That's incredible. um, So that trip was so good for me. It was so good for our family. And that's what sparked a Oh, this is the structure of the book is just to kind of loosely follow that trip. Yeah. You know, as a, as a man of faith and a, and a person who has a higher calling definitely on their lives. Why do you think God led you to do this? What in the grand scheme, why do you think God said, Ethan, I'm giving you a task. I can't give to everybody. <laughs> or they may not want it or they may go, uh, I think somebody, I got to get the wrong number. Why do you think he gave it to you? And what do you want to see him do with this story? Well, I think, I think the first part of it is it shows that he has a sense of humor <laughs> and that he, he, uh, he appreciates a little bit of whimsy in this world that he created. Um, I think the, the bigger thing is uh, that that is how much it just brought people together. You know, from ages two to ninety, um, one thing that we okay aside from one person, one thing I never talked. We didn't talk politics. We didn't talk. Uh, we we talked about about life. What are your dreams? What are your hopes? What are your fears? What gives you joy? What's your favorite movie? And it was an activity of, of, of bringing people together and the passage in Galatians and the passages in, in Colossians about how we are all one in Christ. I felt that that was being lived as, as we were doing it. And the person on the other end could have been an atheist. And there was still a joy 
that was that was shared between us. Um, and it, it, even in the, the two years since that happened, there there is so much division, and we are so quick to say, "Well, I don't believe that. I, I don't think that that we we miss the beauty and the wonder of hey." That's a that's a human being. That is a divine image breathed into flesh that we have the chance to to love and to share life with. And, and so I think if I'm thinking big picture and grand scheme of things, um, one of the most important words to me is friend. And it, it comes out of you know John 15. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And I. I'm not going to say that Matthew mis- misspoke at the at when he wrote at the end in the Great Commission, but I really wondered if he meant to right? <clears throat> go out into all the world and make new friends. Um, and so I now have 500 friends that send me emails and texts that I wouldn't have got to meet literally any any other way. And, and for the chance to, to share this experience with them, um, the book is a thank you to them. Thank, thank you for helping me live the best year of my life. Thank you for saying yes when I sent you an email or, or reaching out to me. Um, but, but to make friends, gosh, that is, I think that is such a divine calling. Wasn't that fun? Thank you so much, Ethan, for not only the story of what you've done, but the lessons learned for you while you've done it and are doing it and the lessons we can learn by doing it. Thanks, Ethan. That was a fun, fun time together. Well, our next episode is going to continue uh, in the great episode route because we get to sit down with author, speaker, leader, Miss Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca is known all over the country for her books, her latest one, Rhythms, the podcast she does with her amazing husband. But I'm telling you, you are going to be blown away by Rebecca's story. It's a story of overcoming, uh, being hit with something in your adult years you didn't see coming, and how you found the rhythm to walk with the Lord, and to be the person you were created to be. You're going to enjoy this episode with Rebecca Lyons. If today you've enjoyed this episode, boy, I would love for you to leave a review on our uh, iTunes site. That would help us so, so much. And also, always feel free, share this with a friend. The best way to do it is by subscribing. You can go to your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you like listening, and download that app. And uh, boy, subscribe because it is the best way to keep up. Once again, thanks for joining me today. And I can't wait to be with you again next time as we're all seeking to be the people God created us to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 